Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and their financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Today's guest is Taylor Anderson. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, I'm really excited. So for those of you listening, Taylor Anderson, who is also a CFP, she has a company called Middleton and Company. Uh, She co-runs that company right now with her sister and her father, who is somewhat phasing out. Is that correct, Taylor? Yeah, it changes every day, to be honest. He he goes (laughs) on vacation sometimes, and then he is super excited to come back to work. So uh, we don't know what it'll look like. So the vineyard is being tested. That's right. That's right. Lots of experimentation happening. So, you know, my famous question whenever I open up the show is um, life is so much like a vineyard. I think we can mirror the challenges that vineyards have with the challenges that our lives have. But I always love to know, and since you enjoy uh, evenings uh, with a a run and maybe a little bit of good conversation over a beer or a glass of wine. What is your favorite wine? So I don't have a specific label that I always go to, but we have a specific region uh, that Mm. we've really gotten into. Um, So we live in Washington state and there is a town called Walla Walla that's about I know Walla Walla wine. Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad you know about it. It's actually a younger uh, area, if you will, compared to California and and other parts of the world. So I'm glad you've heard of it. Um, But yeah, it's about three three hours from here. And they produce some of the biggest reds um, that I have found locally. So um, Oregon and Washington are really famous for their Pinots. Um, Mm -hmm. But we like to go a little further east and get some of the the bigger, bolder flavors. So uh, we love the Walla Walla wines. It's a a great little town to hang out with uh, people there and still has that uh, very firm, 
uh, authentic feel to it. So it's not just the wine, it's it's the experience of going out there and talking to the winemakers and feeling proud that it's it's right in our backyard. Well, that's, that's interesting because um, one of the things that I read about them, I, I happened to across a bottle of wine from there, from that region. And, um, cause I'm always on a search for like new areas. And one of the things that I, um, read about that I had to Google it, I had to read about the area <laughs> is that it really is, um, the soil there is very unique cause the, yeah. the re where they lie normally would not, um, that would not be necessarily a great region, but they're really hot summers, um, and that Mediterranean climate in the summer really makes that particular little nugget um, really uh, allow for the development, right? So it's small, small in quantity, grapes are smaller, and the the flavor is really uh, pops in your mouth. And so it's so funny. I think you're the only other person that has ever brought up Walla Walla as a region. So that's so cool. Yeah. Um, I knew that you were going to be a great guest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Taylor, tell us a little bit about how, you know, kind of take us back and and walk us through your vineyard and and how it's developed over the years, because you haven't always been a a financial planner. Um, So kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've, how you've gotten to where you are right now. Sure. So I grew up where I live now um, in Vancouver, Washington, and did the the normal high school thing um, and always knew I was going to college. So I went to our um, in-state university, University of Washington in Seattle, and loved it. Um, And while I was there, got a business degree. Um, I also got a French degree, which I don't use all that often anymore, Mm. um, but that was a, a a fun thing to get into. Um, after college, I, I was very fortunate um, in that I, as part of the business school, was involved in helping with the career fair. And through a connection in the career fair, got hired pretty quickly by a consulting company uh, doing IT consulting. And I did that for about five years. Um, and within those five years, found myself really gravitating not toward the technical side of it so much, but more to the people side of it. Uh, where technology in general, the types of projects that we were doing, introduced change into organizations. And so the the roles that I started playing more heavily were around helping to manage that change and Mm -hmm. uh, implement the system more effectively and successfully so that it wasn't just the new technology, but it was the new way of working and uh, the people who were working on it loved it and felt like it was um, their, their system. So I really, really liked that work, but uh, consulting has its um, ups and downs. uh, And I just decided that I really wanted to be uh, a little bit more committed to something that I could see follow through. Um, So in consulting, you you essentially work for a period of time, the project ends, and then the company that you worked with is on their own to make sure they sustain it. From there, I actually was looking for um, the opportunity to work inside a specific company. And I ended up working at uh, the Starbucks headquarters in Seattle after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had worked with them on a project um, in my previous role and really enjoyed their culture uh, and the way that they really enabled their store managers to own their business. Uh, And I was able to 
carry forward uh, a lot of the project management and technical skills that I had gained uh, in my consulting role. So I worked at Starbucks for three years um, and loved that. And so this is where things um, start going a little bit differently, um, where at this point I've worked eight years in corporate America, um, have been pretty successful in getting promoted along the right timelines and increasing my salary. Um, and I just decided at one point to look to my husband and say, do you want to do what you're doing forever? Uh, and at the time, he was working um, as a property manager uh, for residential homes in Seattle, which is a pretty tough job in that uh, you're on call all the time. Um, your evenings and weekends are up for grabs for calls where you might have to go solve, you know, a tree fell on a roof or something like that. Mm. Um, and he sure didn't want to do that forever. Um, so mm -hmm. we started masterminding around what, what do we want to do um, from here, knowing that we were both from Vancouver, Washington, and wanted to eventually end up back here. Um, so um, I knew that I had the opportunity to work with my dad. He had been talking to me about financial planning and investment uh, work since I was in college. And as you can tell, I didn't jump on it right away. Um, I kind of decided that I wanted to get out in the world and try a few things. Um, but essentially, we decided we're going to move back home, but we're not going to move directly back home. Uh, we wanted to, if we were going to pack everything up and put it in storage or drive it down uh, the three hours from Seattle to Vancouver, we were going to maybe take the long route home. So we started plotting to um, take an international adventure, and we did some research on what we could do uh, that would allow us to have some international experience, but not necessarily be financially prohibitive. Mm -hmm. So the things we were looking for was, we didn't want to necessarily have to pay to go. Uh, and we wanted to make sure we were safe, um, both medically and just yeah. from a, an American perspective, um, being abroad. And so we landed on the Peace Corps as being a really great opportunity um, that they essentially support you financially to get to the country of your service, and then they take care of you while you're there. And then after two years, they send you home with a lot of memories um, and hopefully some good uh, relationships across the globe. Um, We're going to so, put a pin in that because yeah. I want to come back and explore that one. <laughs> okay, sounds good. That, yeah, That's it's amazing. A, it's a big uh, characterizing experience for us. So you did, because we're going to spend some time talking about that. I have to come back to it. But you did the time in the Peace Corps, and then you came back. Yes. And then did you join the practice? So I actually, after Peace Corps, we, we decided to travel for six more months uh, while we didn't have uh, actual jobs at the time. And during that time, um, I worked with my dad, who was currently in, or at the time, was in a partnership um, we, I worked with him to start our own RAA, um, our Registered Investment Advisor, so that we could create the family business. Um, so while I was traveling in Southeast Asia, um, that's when I joined XY Planning Network um, and we figured out how to start the firm. And I, I really soaked up all of the resources that XYPN had to essentially teach me what a financial planner was. 
Um, so I had gotten the opportunity to enter the business from my dad, um, but I hadn't started really working in it until that point. So um, my initial entry was starting a firm. And then from there, uh, we've kind of, we've been in business for about three years. Uh, my dad has really um, helped fill in both my and my sister's um, knowledge around what, what does it mean to be a good financial advisor. So, okay. So now you're with your sister, your dad, and you, the three of you are part of the firm now all together. That's right. I had worked with my husband <laughs> when I first started getting this practice up and running and he was instrumental, but, and my brother does all the editing for my podcast and stuff like that. So I, I work with family or have worked with family a little bit but not all day, every day. What is that like? What influence does that have on the way you guys run the practice? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I think one of the things that we um, have come to really appreciate is that we already have built-in communication habits that we can rely on uh, in times where we're not, we're not really sure how to say something or how to work through something but we can do our best effort and we know each other so well that we really know each other's intentions. Uh, so that has helped us through some things that uh, I guess in other work environments, I may not have felt so comfortable. Um, so it's been really great. I would say we do um, try really hard to set boundaries around work versus family. Uh, and so we, we typically don't talk business outside of the office. Okay. So that's, that's a big influence right there. Right. So when we think about, um, cause I interviewed Dana Jacobs, who, you know, works with her brother, Rob. Mm -hmm. And I asked that same question, like, you know, how do you, is, is there too much influence, um, within your, within your vineyard, um, around the business? And so you're not letting some of the other influences in and, and does that stifle, you, you know, your growth just a little bit. And you're, it sounds like you guys have set really good boundaries to, prohibit that from happening. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a daily reminder to yourself uh, that when we're at family dinner, uh, that it's just family time, but it, it seems to be working for us. Great. And what would you recommend for other people that are thinking about doing a business with their loved ones, with their family? Yeah. One of the things that I think I've heard uh, other businesses uh, decide, and we, we did too, is how to address each other uh, within both the office and outside of the office. So in our case, we really felt like it was important to maintain the family relationship and to share that with the people we were working with. So we uh, do call our dad, our dad in the office, uh, and we do okay. disclose that we're sisters and that we are a family-run business. Uh, and that we essentially are supporting each other in, in each of our careers. Um, so that is something though that I think is a very personal decision. Um, some, some companies decide to really maintain professionalism and really work on a first name basis instead of calling each other um, by familial names. Um, so mm -hmm. that, that I think is just up, up for each company to decide how they wanna do that. And then uh, I really do recommend setting boundaries, whether it's exactly like we have, where the office is kind of our 
our place to talk business. Um, it could be times of day or it could be when certain people are in the room, um, but really actually having a concerted effort to have a conversation around what, what's the intent there. I, I think I would recommend that as well for people going mm -hmm. into business with family. Good, good recommendations. I know there's a lot of, um, I've been meeting with a lot of attorneys lately, one of the group of clients that we work with predominantly, and a lot of them, um, a lot of them are women, and they're talking about, you know, is there ways to bring their children in in some way, shape, or form? A lot of my clients are my age, you know, they're mid-40s, and their kids are 14, 15, 16 years old, or getting to that range. And they're trying to have bring them in for responsibility purposes and to teach them certain business skills. Did you guys work in, you know, at all with your dad when you were younger, like when you were in high school or um, even when you were in college? And did that help set some of those boundaries that you're talking about? So I think we both had some experience. Mine was very short-lived, uh, if at all, in high school. Uh, I do know that my sister, between uh, a couple of her jobs, she she had a longer term um, role at, at the previous firm where my dad worked. And I think uh, they were they really good experience to kind of see what happens in a workplace. Uh, but I also know that um, my they, they, the business they were running was it's a small business. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of responsibility, um, they were able to teach us, both of us, um, some skills along that that line, but I also know that um, I didn't quite get it at the mm. time when I worked with them. Uh, it, it really was just task oriented, and I think I missed a little bit about uh, the fact that this really is um, an important service that's provided to clients. Um, so I would say I think it's a really great idea to bring uh, to bring children into the business. Um, and to set some standards and build some great habits, um, but to also provide space and understand that uh, the, the world experience that they will eventually get um, will help them understand what they were really helping you do. They might not get it right away. Gotcha. So if you don't mind, I, I thought that's great information because for many of them, you know, that I'm talking about, many of these women that I'm talking about, because it is mostly women attorneys that I work with, um, you know, they're asking me questions around that. And I feel a little bit ill-equipped to respond because I don't have that. Right. And I never I never did that within a family business. But I know that from a standpoint of morale, you know, that's the one thing that I say to them is like, if you're going to bring your kid in, make sure that the expectations are very clear about what, how they're supposed to act in the office so that it doesn't become an issue within your staff. And like, well, you know, it's just the boss's kid. So um, yeah. I just have to deal with what they're, what they're, how their performance is. So I yeah. appreciate you sharing, sharing your journey around that. But I, I keep, I have keep looking at my note here and I want to get back to this so badly. Tell me about the Peace Corps because I'm just so intrigued. It almost it almost brings what we were just talking about, like when you said you didn't get it, to the point right now where you're working in the firm. Um, you said you there were some really good life lessons. So tell us about those influences and how that number one, you know, just changed your life, and number two, uh, how that makes you. Uh, a really unique, in my opinion, planner. Sure. 
so the Peace Corps, um, like I said, it was uh, one of the things that we, we really honed in on because of the ability we had to do it without uh, really taking on a financial burden for something that was meant to be an adventure. Uh, it wasn't meant to be um, something that we drained our savings for. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went into it very open-minded. I think the process has changed a little bit uh, in terms of the application process now. But at the time, the the way that they asked where you wanted to go was more of the opposite question, which is where would you not go in the world? Uh, which I think actually matters. And um, now they ask you where you do want to go. But at the time when they asked us that question, we thought, well, what doors do we want to close then? Um, and so we went into it taking their full recommendation of where we were going to end up. And so we ended up uh, serving in Kyrgyzstan, which is a small Central Asian country that we had never heard of uh, before we lived there for two years. Um, so we got on a plane at one point um, after having packed everything up in Seattle and um, telling our employers that we were going to go on this adventure. We got on a plane and went to training and it kind of flew by at this point um, in my mind. Um, we learned the local language. We lived wow. uh, for a period of time. Yeah. I mean, as best we could to get by, if you will. Um, I have a, a very um, keen sense for people who are uh, learning English as a second language because of that and just what it takes to be articulate in a, in a language that you're currently learning uh, and how much knowledge and um, help you want to provide, but you're not able to say that as well as you could in your native language. Um, I've, I've really come to appreciate that experience. Um, but we lived with a host family for a period of time, and then we also had an apartment while we were there. And all the while going through this, uh, one thing the Peace Corps does is they do provide you a stipend uh, to live, but you are responsible for spending it uh, within the country that, that you live in. We made um, $5,000 a year per person, <laughs> I think. Um, which was a, an, a very nice wage in Kyrgyzstan. We were able to pay rent out of that. We were able to go to the market. Uh, we were able to have fun. We were able to travel within the country. Mm. Um, so I learned a little bit too about just uh, the, the world economy uh, and ha- what assumptions we make uh, being in the U.S. about what things are worth um, and, and what uh, life looks like at different dollar amounts and whatnot. Um, so th- that was a, a really useful um, piece of information. Um, and I think the other thing that, that we really learned coming um, out of that experience was how to reintegrate back into the U.S. after having this experience mm. where $5,000 a month is enough. <laughs> um, we, we, we had some um, interesting learnings in that we kind of didn't realize all of the work that we had done from college to that or throughout that eight years of working life where we had bought cars and um, gotten jobs and bought a house or paid rent. Um, we had buy, or we had bought dishes and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden we come back and don't have any of that. <laughs> um, and we have to start over really quickly. 
Um, so we were really fortunate to have family support to live uh, with them for almost a year oh, after okay. we got back, um, which allowed us to do one thing at a time. Uh, we bought one car, then we bought another car, then we bought a house. In the meantime, I had already started uh, working with my dad to start this business. Um, my husband had spent some time while we were staying with family to find his new job, um, which he is much more fulfilled by uh, than his previous job. Um, so we really took the opportunity to reset everything uh, in a way that now uh, we're just happier with the trajectory we're on. Um, but I would say all of those things um, have really played into how I view our, my role as a financial planner now. Um, because we were talking about this anywhere, a lot of people go uh, through life thinking that they're, they're just on to the next thing. You graduate college, you get a job, you work to get promoted at your job, you want a house, then you want a bigger house, then you want a family, then you want a bigger house again. Um, that the, those things are, are really great, uh, but if we don't stop to ask ourselves what really makes us happy, uh, then we may or may never really feel content with the life we've built. Um, so I now have the opportunity to kind of share that we took a break um, and really re-examined uh, the life that, that we had created um, and reset some things that look completely different than they did before. Um, and we worked through the financial side of that, of uh, really maximizing savings before mm -hmm. we took this um, adventure and then recognizing when we came back, there were some surprises about how long it took to get reintegrated and how much <laughs> it costs to do that and the value of support that we have. Um, all the while, um, having had experience, again, in, in very traditional jobs uh, where we had to make decisions on 401k savings and all that kind of stuff to now um, being in a self-employed kind of role uh, where we're building a business and having to decide, well, how much do I want to invest in my business versus how much do, do I really want to take as compensation? So I would say just that the last several years have really um, provided quite a variety mm -hmm. of uh, firsthand experience around um, some key financial decisions and, and also the emotions and the um, uncertainty that goes along with it. Um, and in the end, I guess I just, I look at it as one fantastic ride. <laughs> but you, you, you know, when you're working with people, one of the things that I love about your journey is that when you're working with people, <clears throat> you know, we can say, we understand how you feel, but you, you not under, you not only understand it, you actually have lived it. Yeah. So how long had you and your husband been married when you decided to do this? Okay, we got married in 2010 and left in 2013, so about three years we've been okay. married. So did that, um, do you think that that added, when you guys started to reintegrate, do you think that that added more stress that you guys had to work through or did it actually strengthen your marriage because you went through that together? I would say our Peace Corps experience definitely strengthened our relationship. Uh, we were both learning a lot at the same time. Um, and we were trying to maintain our relationship in a culture that treats marriage differently than we do. Um, 
not to go into details, but the, the role of the wife uh, outside of the US, at least where we were, is very different. Um, and the cultural expectations that were put on me and our relationship uh, really tested uh, our ability to look at each other and decide that we were the ones that got to define what our relationship looked like and that we could be an example um, of how it could be different uh, abroad. So that was something that I think uh, we we definitely appreciate as having um, gone through together. I would say the other key change that happened in that period of time is the amount of time we spent together. Up to that point, we had uh, both had jobs and would go and do our own thing during the day and then we'd catch up at night and share what happened during the day and then on weekends we would do fun things. Um, whereas in Kyrgyzstan, there was a lot more couple time. Um, there, life moved a little slower, so uh, we would do everything together. We'd go to the market together. We would help each other at our jobs. Uh, we would travel together. So um, I just in general, it strengthened our relationship so much that when we came back, um, it actually was a little bit of a, a change to go back to having some independence. Um, so we're, we're actually still at this point, I think we probably spend more time together than we did before we uh, left for the Peace Corps. Mm. Um, so I, that that's just so, so intriguing to me because, you know, life gets so busy. And I always talk about managing the vineyard, you know, to make sure that um, the the leaves are clipped to let sunshine in, you know, to allow the grapes to, to ripen properly. And we put wire up um, between the posts so that the the vines can rest. And, you know, that really is um, that that engagement and that intertwining of, of your lives even more really uh, very intriguing. And then taking it a step further and and reintegrating into this country. <laughs> um, I have to imagine that was like, oh man, what what did we just do for the last two years, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, from my husband's perspective, um, one of the things that, that we also um, find useful in our financial planning is translating the experience you have abroad to something that makes sense for getting a job when you get back. So resume building. Um, and being that you learn so many things and gain so many skills, but translating it into job jargon, if you will, um, is a skill. And so he definitely uh, went through that. Um, and you're right, like how, having to think through, gosh, yeah, what did we learn in the last two years besides a very bizarre language that now only the two of us know? Um, uh, but he, he was able to do it, and he got some really great career guidance from um, some other connections we had in the community. Um, so it, that is something definitely that was a learning for us is, is yeah, how do, you, how do you bring it back home? So I want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, when we talk about walking through, through the vineyard and the influences, as a kid, you know, having grown up in a household where your dad was running a financial firm, did he bring that into the house? Were you guys, was it ingrained in you at a very young age? It was, but I didn't know it uh, which at the time, which was really interesting. He, he just had some really effective ways of um, sharing basic financial savvy with us 
um, in terms of just not spending more than you earn, which we didn't really uh, put into practice until we got jobs much later, but things like babysitting money. Um, he took those opportunities to really just uh, share some basic habits with us, but then just by him saying it became so ingrained in us uh, that it, it's now how both my sister and I go forward in life. Um, he also, one thing that he did for us was when anytime we um, earned things, earned money from chores or whatnot, he would uh, contribute to a Roth in our name uh, and shared with us that that's what he was doing. But again, we didn't really know what that was. Yeah. Um, so, so he really um, helped us with the savings aspect of it um, and definitely cued us in a little bit about uh, not taking on debt very early on. Well, so how young were you when he started contributing to the Roth? aspects of things i was probably 12 or 13 so for for every dollar i earned yeah mowing lawns or uh, babysitting or anything like that he would ask me how much i made and then he would make the contribution equal to that amount that's fabulous that is such a tip i hope people pick that up when you said it because many um many of our listeners demographics are they do have kids that are working um you know, teenagers that are working. And so a great way to reward them is to um, do something like this, the Roth IRA contribution, because that will definitely, uh, that will definitely grow long-term. I mean, when you look at, if you were saying 12 and you're, you're only like 21 now, right? So when you look at what that, (laughs) when you look at that has grown to be, um, what could be much better of a gift, really, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and just the vocabulary was a gift. Um, the fact that I had heard of it was, uh, by the time I was in college, was really a great gift um, to enter the workforce uh, having. So do you have, uh, people ask me this all the time, and I'm like, oh, I hate this question. So I'm trying to gather a database. Do you have any thoughts that if, if somebody won't seek financial help, um, they won't, meaning, you know, like work with financial planner, um, and they're just searching for tips, is there one thing that you like to pass on to people to say, if you're not doing anything else, do this? I mean, going back to, to the thing that is really core to me, it's saving. Uh, and if the idea would be um, to stash as much money as possible, and if we get a little bit more complicated, into different types of accounts as possible for the goal of uh, flexibility. Um, Mm -hmm. So we talk to a lot of people who want to retire before the normal retirement age, uh, but all of their funds are in retirement accounts. um, So they have less flexibility on when they can use those funds. So in any case, um, being, being savvy about yeah, spending less than you earn, um, taking the excess and actually funding accounts, whether they be retirement or just savings accounts, and then deciding what you want out of life um, at some point. And hopefully by that time, you can turn around and say, wow, I have, have this much saved. I'm able to do what I want to do. 
Yeah, I, I, the terminology is very important. The savings is very important. And the comment that you made about different types of buckets, mm-hmm. that's really, uh, again, shouldn't be overlooked because one of the things that I find with some of the clients that I've worked with that have done a really diligent job of savings, but they've done it, it through their 401k plan only, yep. that when they get to the point where they need to start making withdrawals, they have a tax situation. Mm-hmm. Their only income is after tax, and most people don't like their lifestyle to decline in right. retirement. Right. So they're putting themselves into, you know, they're taking money that they would have paid 15% tax on, and now they're paying 22 under the current law. So um, it's that variety of different buckets that I think is really critical that you that you put a spin on there. Yeah. The other thing, um, I Taylor. Go ahead. The other thing I was going to throw out there is um, I, it was even even after I worked for a few years, it was a little bit of an aha moment for me when I started reading some blogs about people who were saving more than the rule of thumb, which is mm-hmm. we hear 10 percent potentially as a rule of thumb um, and reading some blogs where people were saving up to 50 percent of their income. And the mm-hmm. fact that that was possible uh, and that you could do that was was really um, eye-opening for me. So to just um, not necessarily live by rules of thumb um, and especially yeah. on the saving side of it. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that because my rule of thumb is typically 15% right. at a minimum, right? right? So, and when I say my rule of thumb, I, you know, it's just, if you're trying to get nail me down to a number and I don't know anything about your situation, I'll say, well, at least start with 15% because I don't know if you have a pension. I don't know if you have a match. I don't know, you know, what are income or assets that you have. But if you're young enough and you've got some time, then 15% would be a, a reasonable rule of thumb number. But again, you know, some people they're frugal enough that they could save 25% and not even have an impact on their lives. So rule of thumbs are very dangerous. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up because it's very, very true that they're very dangerous. Um, So Taylor, I love to close with just a couple of final questions because um, as financial planners, especially, I think we, uh, people think that we never make any kind of financial missteps. I don't like to use the word errors because I think we can learn from things, but missteps. Is there one thing that you've learned over the years that you can share with any of the listeners that you may have wished you had done differently? Yeah, I saw this question and it's, it's a really good question because I am, there are so many little things. Um, I think, I mean, one of the things would be very simply to not be afraid if, uh, for example, you miss a payment on a credit card and there's a late fee and an interest charge to call the credit card company because it was a one-time uh, missed payment and have mm-hmm. that be removed. Things like that, mm-hmm. that that just felt really scary to do. Um, but as I've gained a little bit more of a financial history, I, I have been built up a little bit of, uh, I guess, credibility in paying. Um, and a little bit of confidence just to say uh, it's worth calling because a lot of times they remove those. Um, So they're really small things like that. Um, I think another one was I went into um, kind of my initial um, salary thinking that I needed to save 
the amount I was going to spend on any big purchase before I made the big purchase. Um, because going back to uh, the, the lessons I was uh, taught as a kid was, was always to really save um, a lot. But the, I really had to kind of step out and learn about the fact that sometimes um, some debt does provide you some flexibility. So um, I had wished that I, I had kind of done a little bit more research on uh, what, what options were available. And I'm thinking more specifically about buying a car. Um, mm -hmm. the, the car I bought, in general, you can get relatively low interest rates. But the car I bought, I got at a 0% interest rate which essentially allows me to pay off the car over time um, and maintain some flexibility in my bank accounts. Um, so I, I kind of wish that I had done a little bit of research earlier on to really personalize and gain some confidence in my own decisions mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. going through life um, making assumptions about how everything must be done. Um, so I think just general reading up on um, financial health is a really great habit to build. So that goes back to the assumptions comment, doesn't it? Absolutely. Like don't go, don't go with the stand, you know, don't always go with the assumptions. Don't always go with that standard. This is what I should be doing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cash is king, right? And there, I, I, it's funny that you bring that up because um, Brett and I, uh, prior to us starting this firm, prior to me starting this firm, uh, we were strong believers like, no debt. Like we got our mortgage paid off in five years and we had everything like zero. Right. But then when we started to think about growing the business or starting the business, we had to rebuild all of our savings or not rebuild, but add to all of our savings and, you know, make sure that we had enough money in the bank to live for a period of time. So instead of making the decision about a year earlier, we had to just start hoarding money for about a year before I could make that decision and financially know that we were going to be okay. And if we had instead paid the mortgage on time with an, and not been so aggressive with that, then we would have had a, a really big uh, stash set aside and, and not had to wait a year. So I think, you know, your comment is, is very valid. And um, I would love to know too, you know, and this is different for so many different people, but what, what would you, cause so many people say, Oh, paying off debt would be such a huge definition of success. Mm -hmm. But based on the comment that you just made, what would your definition of success be? Great, great question. Uh, in general, I really like to make a contribution. Um, so whether that be professionally or in the community, um, I like to feel like I um, have some connection to people and to um, progress. And so I've, I've done a lot of different exercises around, you know, how to uh, plan a life and how to really find happiness and whatnot. And it always comes back to that where um, success for me would be waking up in the morning, having a purpose for the day, but not... Um, not from a sense of I need to grind this out and, and, and make it um, to the next level that then I'm going to make it to the next level. It's, it's very much about um, being able to go about life and, at a steady pace and really find connection um, through the work that I do um, and the people that I get to spend time with. And that's really it. 
Well, I think that your Peace Corps time uh, shows that. It's not just about what you're saying, but you enacted that (laughs) for sure. Uh, And one final question that I love to ask people is what feeds your soul? Oh man, yoga is one of my favorite things, Um, both because it is physically active. So I like to uh, just be healthy in that way, but it's also a way to integrate meditation uh, into life and and kind of force a pause uh, to reflect on uh, what happened during the day, what are we doing, am I being who I wanna be? Um, and so it, it, that's, that's the one thing I could pinpoint where it ties it all together for me. Um, and, it, and it's really just trying to make sure that my mind is aligned with my heart, is aligned with my actions. Um, and, and if I have that, then my soul will be happy. That's so, I love that. Um, and that yoga can bring that to you is awesome. And I know you like to backpack and do some hiking as well. Yeah. And it sounds like it's that peace it's it's the it's the quiet time it's the peace that recharges you absolutely so taylor in closing uh we always love to ask our guests if they can define you we've talked about the fact that you love the region of walla walla is there a particular food that you like to pair with some of their reds i don't think you can go wrong with cheese i'm not exactly (laughs) sure what kind but cheese and wine uh, is always a good time for me (laughs) <laughs> you know, it probably brings out the, it, it's about the environment that you're in, Absolutely. right? That's what I always say about wine. But, um, it, it, when it, people laugh at me, uh, how closely I can bring the vineyard in, in the financial aspects of things. But I, I do say that life is about events and that's supported by our dollars and cents. And when we think about what wine is for a lot of people and the food that's paired with it, it's about events. It's about what you're doing and what you're doing and who you're doing it with. And it's amazing how wine can taste one way when you're with a group of friends and completely different when you're just sipping it on your own. I I swear it's about that influence too. So um, I wish that it was late enough in the day that you and I could have toasted a glass of wine, but maybe at the next XY conference that we get together, we'll actually have some time to sit and do that. We should definitely do that, yes. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate your time and sharing your journey. And I think uh, it's such a unique, um, you know, direction into the financial services profession. I know there's that direct connection with your dad, but it, it was such a pleasure talking to you about your events around the Peace Corps too. And thank you for your time and serving with them. We, we do appreciate it. Yeah, thank that. you, Amy. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.